0: Acts chapter 12, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen. But I, to, I want you to hear this powerful story. In Acts chapter chapter, one, da, chapter 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was was earnestly praying for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, woke him up, quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything that Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance. And a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening the door. Peter is at the door. Hear out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. This is the word of the Lord. I don't want to just stand up here and try to convince you. I don't want to try to convince you that God wants to do great things. I don't want to try to convince you that prayer works. I don't want to try to convince you that God wants to do extraordinary things. But today I want you to be saturated by stories, by scripture, and worship in such a way that you walk out of here today knowing that prayer makes a difference. So today's going to look a little different, but I invite you to ask the Lord to quiet your heart and to focus in on what God has for us in our time together today. Things might happen out of order, and that might drive you crazy, but that's okay. Ask that the Lord would speak and that you would have a receptive heart to hear that. So as I mentioned before, our kids are in service today. Kids, would you guys come forward for a minute? Taylor, good to see you. How are you guys? Good, good. Well, what's, a, what's your favorite smell? Macaroni and cheese. That is a great smell. I'm glad you thought of because if you said like flowers, I was going to say, well, some food is one of my favorite smells. Sam, what's your favorite smell? French vanilla. Mmm, that can smell pretty good. Do you like how flowers smell? Do you like how candles smell? Yeah, candles smell really good. Brittany loves candles. We have lots of candles at our house. But have you ever smelled something really bad? Oh, you have? Oh, you have? (laughs) Yeah, spoken like kids that all have, sm- have younger siblings. They've smelled some pretty terrible things. Smells can really upset your stomach, can't they? They can almost make you sick if they smell really bad. But a good smell can change your mood, can it? Even if you're kind of sad and you just get a whiff. <laughs> can just make everything better. If you're having a bad day, Hannah, and you walk in and you get a whiff of macaroni and cheese, that makes everything a little bit better. Well, did you know that God can smell? Have you ever thought about that? Everyone can smell. Good thought. But did you know that the Bible actually talks about God smelling? Bet you didn't know that, did you? Well, do you know what the very last book of the Bible is? It's called Revelation. You don't have to get your Bible, Sam. It's called Revelation. Revelation. You know what Revelation says about God's smelling? It tells us that, that the prayers of us, the prayers of God's people, are the smells that God is smelling in heaven. Is that weird? Yeah, it's a little weird. Because your prayer doesn't really have a smell, does it? But didn't you just say that prayers can affect. I mean that that smells can affect your mood. They can make you happy or they can make your stomach kind of turn. Well, in Revelation 5 it says that the prayers of the saints, that the pray, our prayers are like incense to God. That God smells that our prayers can affect God. Do you think that God hears you when you pray? You do? Hannah, do you think that? You don't think so? It's hard, to, it's hard to imagine, right, that God would actually hear our prayers. Well, today, I want you to think of a it little, a little bit differently. You're going to hear a lot of stories. You're going to hear stories. You're going to hear Scripture. We're going to sing. But I want you to think about prayer as a smell. And I wish I had some macaroni and cheese or French vanilla for you to smell. But the Bible actually tells us that our prayers become the incense, the smell that God smells. So, smells matter, and your prayers matter. And God hears your prayers. Well, let's hear it for Hannah and Taylor. Thank you, ladies. You can go sit with your parents. But our prayers are the incense burning at the throne of the Father. What a thought! What a thought. Patty, would you come and share? So, Peter walks out of jail. That's kind of crazy. Because, I mean, he's, he's locked in. He, he's in there good. Sixteen guards keeping tabs on him. It's not like he, he got past one dude or even two. But the scripture even told us that there was one on each side of him as he slept. What a task. There was no way he was going to get out. Well, one of my favorite shows a few years ago was a show called Prison Break. Anybody watch Prison Break? Show of hands. All right, well, I, I've talked with some of you about this a little bit. I kind of have a fascination with prison and jail, and it's it's a whole other world. And these shows just kind of give you a little glimpse of that. Well, Prison Break, if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to ruin anything, uh, but it's about a guy named Michael Schofield. And Michael, his brother gets put in jail, but he's falsely accused. And Michael knows that he knows that he knows that his brother's not in there ...for anything that he actually did. So Michael is a genius... ...and he decides, okay, I'm going to get put in jail... ...and I'm going to get him out. So Michael goes and he walks in a bank with a gun... ...and he just kind of stands there until the police show up... ...just so he can get arrested and get put in jail. Well, you see, Michael had the blueprints to the jail. I think, if I remember right, he was part of the architectural team... ...or something that designed it, something along those lines. But he had the blueprints... And he had it memorized. And he knew his way around. And so he went in there knowing, I'm going to get my brother out of jail. Well, not this lengthy thing because it happens early on, but he gets his brother out of jail. It happens very early on in the show. But his plan doesn't go how he thought it would. He accomplishes his goal, but the, the journey is so much different than he anticipated. He would. He'd get to one part of the plan and realize, oh, the facility has changed since my plans. Or, or a guard would do something off schedule. or His master plan didn't really work, but he was able to pivot and change. And he successfully got his brother out of jail. And then the rest of the show is them fleeing as the cops try to find them as they've broken out of prison. The church was praying for Peter. And I, and I don't think that the church was just praying for Peter on Sunday mornings. They weren't just praying for Peter in their times of worship together. It wasn't just a Sunday morning, Wednesday night thing for those that decided to show up. The text says that the church was earnestly praying for Peter. This probably meant that when they opened their eyes in the morning. They're crying out to the Father on behalf of Peter, "God, do something. We need him. We love him." The church had a burden for their brother, and they earnestly brought him to God prayer. The church was hard at work in prayer. You see, Peter wasn't in prison putting together a master plan like Michael Schofield did. Peter was just there. I mean, 16 guards, why even try? You're not going to get out. He knew that there was no way he would get out short of a miracle. When the church committed to prayer, Peter didn't need a master plan and responses to every curveball like Michael did in prison break. He walked out with ease It wasn't a struggle, it wasn't hard. He walked out of the open gates, past the guards, no shackles, no chains, he walked out. That is the power of a praying church. You know, I, I don't want to miss the fact that the, the people, if it, 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 they had no other choice, all they knew was to pray. Sharon, would you come and share your testimony with us this morning of the power of a praying church? Have you ever read the book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire? Anybody read that book? It's the story of, of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. A church in New York City, written by their pastor Jim Cymbala, um, and this is—I'm kind of late to the party. This was a much popular book in the in the early 2000s when it was written, but I, I wanted to share with you a little bit of the story of that book. You've, you might have heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Uh, They—they're still thriving and, and putting out music today, but uh, especially in in the 90s, it was—they were just. Nobody was doing what they were doing Well In, in this book, Pastor Jim he, he tells the story of he and his wife Carol in ministry in, in New York And they were pastoring This small church that was struggling And it, it was really Struggling it, it, But it, it could Pay him a little bit Not enough to, to be full time or anything So he was working other jobs But they they got In there and and things were just tough. There weren't many people, and the people weren't really excited to do anything. Well, his father-in-law had been pastoring another church in New York, and he had moved to Florida, and, and one day he calls Jim, and he says, hey, they need a pastor too. Could you just pastor both churches? Well, the second church was in an even worse situation, even less people, and they couldn't offer to pay him anything, so it was taking on... He basically double the work for no change in compensation, meaning he still had to work outside of it and try to be there for both congregations. But through prayer, Pastor Jim felt like he needed to do it. He needed to to step out on faith and do this, so he did. And he takes on these two churches, preaching multiple services throughout Sundays and, and trying to get around to everyone. And, well, he did that for a little bit, And then, he just felt like he had to let go of the first church he was at. Which is crazy, because that was the only church that had anything to pay him. But he just felt like God was saying, you need to focus in on this other church. Well, the second church, the name of it was Brooklyn Tabernacle. And you see, Pastor Jim... He, it was hard, but he and Carol prayed about it, and they felt the same, that yes, it was time to just focus on the second church. And so they did that. And things were very frustrating, and they weren't good, and they were pretty much bad, as he would say. And, and finally, he was about ready to be done. He just he didn't know what else to do, and so he did what any any pastor should do in a time like that. He went on a fishing trip. And so he sets, he sets out, I think he, if I remember correctly, I think he went all the way to Florida for it. So he was very far away from New York. Um, and, and he goes on this fishing trip, and he's out on the boat, and he's in the middle of the water, and he's with a group, but he doesn't know the people. You know those charters where you just pay, you get your spot. So he's at the other end of the boat. The, the other people are down here, and he's casting his line, and he's praying and thinking and understanding. And, and he said that, not in an audible voice, but in his spirit, God spoke to him. And he said, I knew that God wanted me to hang on at Brooklyn Tabernacle. But God told me that we would have to devote ourselves to being a people of prayer. And so he goes back from his fishing trip, and he's, and he's pretty rejuvenated. You know, you, you get that confirmation from God, you're in the right place, stay. He's excited. So he gets up in the pulpit that Sunday, and, and, he, and he tells the church, he says, I think we've got to devote ourselves to prayer. And for them in that time, he said, I think we need to have prayer meeting every Tuesday night. And so he, he announces that. And, uh, and later on in the service, there was, there was a pastor that had just shown up that day for some reason. He was from like Australia or somewhere. He was just there. And Jim had met him right before the service. And he said, at the end, he said, Well, you're a pastor. Would you like to say anything, you know, at the end of the service, any encouraging words? And he said, the pastor got up, and he looked at the congregation, and I won't try the accent, but he said, if you want to know how popular the church is, see who shows up on Sunday morning. If you want to know how popular the pastor is, see who shows up on Sunday night. And he said, and if you want to know how popular Jesus is, see who shows up to the prayer meeting. And you know what that pastor did? He went and sat in his seat, and when they concluded the service, he left. And they never heard from him again. But I'll have you know that from that date to this day, every Tuesday night, the people of Brooklyn Tabernacle have gotten together and they've sought the Lord in prayer. And Jim even mentions in the book that that he makes it a point to not be gone two Tuesdays in a row. You know, obviously he's going to miss one every once in a while, but he's traveling and different speaking engagements. He makes sure that he never misses two Tuesdays in a row. And as I, I haven't finished the book yet, but as I'm reading it, I just keep getting brought to tears because the prayers that they were praying on Tuesday nights were not to become the biggest church in New York. Their prayers were not... To get a recording contract with their choir and be this abundant thing. But their prayers were to earnestly seek what God wanted to do in their lives. And and they would do that, and then they would respond. And then they would do that, and then they would respond. So the church was getting rather large. If you know it today, thousands of people, multiple services, they empty, they refill, they do it all over again. The church was growing rapidly after a few years with these prayer meetings. But something was going on that nobody knew about. Pastor Jim and Carol's daughter, Chrissy, had turned from the faith. She was 17 years old, wanted nothing to do with the church, just just, she was done with it. And as soon as she turned 18 and was able, she ran off to Florida with a boyfriend, and she was gone. Those were some of the darkest days of his ministry. As he said, he would cry all the way to church on Sunday morning, much like Sharon said, she would cry all the way to work, he would put on the face, he would preach multiple services, and then he would cry all the way home. Because although thousands of people were there and hearing the gospel, his daughter had turned from the faith. And in the midst of that season, in the midst of that heartache that nobody knew about but Jim and Carol, Carol sat down at the piano right after telling Jim, we've got to get out of New York. It's influencing our kids. This is a terrible place. This city has just gotten worse. We've got to get out of here. She sits down at the piano, and she writes a song, and Tina's going to sing that song for us in just a second. But I'll tell you the rest of the story. Right after she wrote that song, the next a couple Tuesday nights later, they're in prayer meeting, and Jim gets up and he reads the scripture, and, and their prayer meeting didn't really have an agenda. It was just people praying out loud, the, the church sharing things. And And he said, well, I started the meeting, and I sat down, and I'm praying, and a woman comes up to me and she says, Jim, I have a burden for your daughter Chrissy. She said, and I think we all need to pray for her right now. Nobody knew what was going on. But yet, so Jim, he said, I felt so awkward. Everyone's already just kind of doing their own prayer. And he said, and I got up and I interrupted. And I said, our sister here has a burden for my daughter, Chrissy. And she thinks we all ought to be in prayer for her. Well, two days, that's all it took. Two days later as they were getting ready that morning, there's a knock at the door. And Jim was off in the back of the house and his wife, Carol, comes running to him and says, Chrissy's here, Chrissy's here, she's at the door. But unlike the ladies that that Peter approached at the house, she opened the door and let her in (laughs) before going to get her dad. And he said when he walked in the room, Chrissy fell on her face in tears and said, who was praying for me on Tuesday night? She said, Dad, I know that's when prayer meeting is. I don't know who it was, but somebody was praying for me, and I had to come home. So Tina, if you would come. Tina's going to sing the song that was written in that season of life, As they were hurting as parents Awaiting The prodigal child to come home Riles isn't They're not here this morning Um, I hate to pass the word but Bob's sister That we've been praying for she passed away this week um, From from A traumatic brain bleed that happened About three weeks ago and then She had a surgery that went well But the doctors always kind of said It can go either way Um, But she passed this week, and uh, so they've been with the family, and um, they're there with them now. And, but Becky did want me to share with you on her behalf that they don't know how they would have gotten through the last several weeks without their newfound church family here at our church. Without prayers and love and support and concern of you, a faithful body, she doesn't know how they would have made it. You know, on the flip side of all of this, we, we, we have to recognize things like that in our prayers. We've been praying for Bob's sister, Terry, for weeks, and yet she passed. The power of a praying church allows God to intervene in those most difficult times. The power of a praying church says We're not in Atlanta today with Bob and Becky And the family and comforting them But God is God is there meeting with them And on top of all of that Becky is a hospice nurse Well a hospice chaplain She meets with the families as as their families are in. And uh, they sent me a date last night It's this never happens, but this week alone, she had six patients pass. And so in the midst of caring for all of these families that have lost, she has grief of her own that, that she is, is carrying. And, and so I told her that we would continue to pray for them and, and be there for them. And, but I, that, that's a testimony also of the power of a praying church. That all th- things didn't turn out the way that we had hoped and prayed and longed. That in the midst of that time, the family can say, He's been faithful. Faithful to me. We've heard stories, we've worshiped. Today, church, I really hope that we can embrace this idea of what it means to be a praying church. As I said last week, Romans 8 talks about the fact that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. It lives in me, it lives in us as a church. And how is that power given? Through the discipline of prayer. Prayer pushes us to action, but it also is the way that we receive the power that God has called us to. In being a praying church, we are all individually going to have people and situations that we're praying for. We most certainly are. And it's important that these are a part of our personal prayer lives and a, and a part of our corporate prayer. It's important that we pray for each other. There's also something that's been brought up in almost every one of these stories that we shared a burden. See, a burden is God placing someone on our hearts and starting that conversation of prayer. I think many of us can think of times when we've had a burden for someone or something or a situation and we've pushed it off. And we know we've done it. I've done it, you've done it, we've done it. When we knew God laid somebody on our hearts or something on our hearts and we push it off. Or we can lean into it through prayer and say, God, I know you're starting this conversation. Let's begin that conversation together. Not only can we have burdens on our hearts, but I believe that we are actively being a praying church when we can begin to have corporate burdens. Instead of praying for our next great idea or our next ministry opportunity, I think we first have to pray that God will give us a burden for our city. When we as a church have a burden for Gainesville, ideas will not just come out of board meetings. Ideas won't just come out of staff meetings. Ideas won't just come from the pastor. Ideas will become, they'll begin to come from you. And you will say, as a participant in our city, God has given me a burden for this. And I can't ignore it. And I'm going to do something about it. And I promise you, if you come to me that strong-willed, and you know that that's God leading you, the church is going to come around you. You know, that happened in the life of this church. We call it nothing wasted thrift That happened a couple months ago in the life of this church. As Rebecca heard of a need... And she just knew we can't just let this go. we got to do something about it. We're not praying for our next big idea. We're praying for a burden. A burden to see where God wants to move in our city and that we would be willing to respond to that burden. And oftentimes, a corporate burden like that, you know what it looks like? It looks like on Monday, I get a phone call from so-and-so saying, Hey, have you heard about this? I just heard about it, and it's breaking my heart. And I just wish we could do something. And then on Wednesday night at church, somebody coming up and saying, Hey, have you heard about this? It just breaks my heart, and I think we could do something. And then Friday, getting another phone call saying, Hey, have you heard about this? And when that begins to happen, that corporate burden of us saying, hey, we can't just sit back and allow these things to take place in our community. But yet we can stand in the power of the Holy Spirit and say, hey, we're going to do something. When we start there and act out of the burden that God gives us, then we'll be fulfilling the mission of God in the world. If we start wanting a great idea, oftentimes we'll end up with a lot of resources and no one that needs them. Because we didn't listen for the burden, we just assumed the need. So I know it's late. I, I, I know we're, we're past time today. But I can't help but hear the testimonies can't help but but hear and read the word of God in Acts chapter 12, where Peter sat in prison doing nothing, and the church prayed earnestly, and he walked out without any chains. It's possible today. If you don't think it is, then we're wasting our time. It's possible today. It is. And you might say, Ryan, you're so uh, young and ignorant, and you just think I think it's possible. So today, I want to invite you. Let's, can we come forward and pray together on behalf of our church? Pray on behalf of our community and say, God, give us that burden. You know what we could easily do? I could say, well, if we want to look like Brooklyn Tabernacle, let's start prayer meeting on Tuesday nights and nobody miss it. If that was a burden that God gave a church in the late 80s in New York City thanks be to God we are not in New York City and it's not that same time we can't do what they did and expect the same outcome we need to seek the Lord and say what is it for us in 2022 that we need to be about in the world and you might say Ryan you keep saying this every week yeah I do repetition is the best teacher so we're going to keep doing it. So I invite you now, come, let's pray. Let's spend time asking God, what does it look like for us to be your hands and feet in the world? You can pray out loud, you can pray to yourself. But let's go to the Lord and just seek his face and say, God, what, we need you. We don't need another program, but we need to be a people that meet needs, a people that act. So let's pray together this morning. Father, God. We've testified this morning to the power of a praying church. And we, we believe that, that, that when we pray that, that our prayers are the aroma that you smell around the throne. God, today we believe that you can answer prayers in the same way that you did in the book of Acts. That in the impossible, chains can be broken and gates can be opened and we can walk out. God, today we need a corporate burden. Well, we've looked the same for a long time, but our community is changing. We don't want to change for the sake of change. We want to we step into what you have for us. Father, make us into a people of prayer where ideas are birthed out of your spirit in us. Father, for as we through history and and, and through great revivals and outpouring of your spirit, they all start with groups of people that are willing to humble themselves in prayer on Monday and Tuesday, just as they are on Sunday morning. Father, create in us as a church a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in us. We need you. For if you are not the driving force in anything that we do, it's pointless. We thank you for the testimonies that have been shared today, the testimonies from Scripture, the testimonies from today, the testimonies from decades ago. Lord, want just a good story to tell but we want to be participants in whatever you want to do Lord help us to be able to trust you and know that you will carry us through that that survival is not our goal but faithfulness is our goal Lord if there's anything that we're doing that, that is just not of you that is out of our own selfishness, God, would you, would you take that? Show it to us. Make it obvious. If there's anything that we're not doing, make it obvious, Lord. Point it out to us. Give us a burden for that. Lord, give us burdens to say, I can do something about that and not just rely on the pastor or just rely on the church board, but to step up and say, I really think I'm supposed to do something about this. And Lord, we don't pray today to become the biggest church in Gainesville. We don't pray that next Sunday thousands of people show up. God, we just want to be in your will. We just want to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're walking in what you want us to walk in, And that we're reaching people with the gospel of Jesus. And if we're doing that, then the attendance is obsolete. We don't care. Just help us to be faithful. To be disciple makers, to be discipled. To love this community in such a way that we haven't in the past. And to be your hands and feet us to commit to prayer each and every day. For we know that it's the only way that we will come to be this people that that you want us to be, and that we long to see us be as a church. For Lord, we we lift all this up in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God.